Let's not confuse crime with committing a sin. You can't legislate morality. Those girls out there aren't hurting anybody. I'm talking just like Marlon Brando. I have no accent. <laughs> Well, 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 happy September. Happy September indeed. I hope it's happy at least. This is episode number 43, is it? Yeah, yeah, this is episode 43 of the Atari 7800 Homebrew Podcast. And I am your host, narrator, babbler, whatever, Sean. And I hope everybody is doing well, doing better, doing whatever. And this is the first episode of Meteorological. Well, say that 10 times fast. Meteorological fall, or as they say in other places, autumn. And uh, this is the part of the episode in which I just kind of ramble about nothing because, hey, you got to have an intro. You got to have a body. You got to have a conclusion. And this is what we call the intro, the intro. And uh, well, the last couple of weeks have been just kind of weird for me personally. Uh, I think I mentioned before, I think I injured myself while I was on vacation. I think the culprit was the non-working elevator banks at San Francisco International Airport because my wife and I had to drag our luggage for quite a while out there, actually. And it was heavier than usual. And my neck is just out of whack. And in fact, I might even have a herniated disc based on what a physical therapist told me. So things are kind of bizarre now. Uh, And before we even went on vacation, I got kind of a small illness that uh, I got treated for, and I had to have a follow-up with a specialist. And uh, the crazy thing is I had to have my kidneys ultrasounded. Is that a past tense verb, ultrasounded? And they told me, before you get your ultrasound, we want you to drink 24 to 32 ounces of water an hour before you come in. And I had the ultrasound after work, and I said, well, it's no problem because... When I'm at work, I'm constantly drinking ice water. So, okay, this should be no problem for you. So drink 24 ounces of water and uh, come on in. Oh, and by the way, don't go to the bathroom. Wait a minute, what? Yeah, don't relieve yourself. Um, Okay. So go in and yeah, it's pretty much what you think. It was torture. <laughs> it was torture to have this simple ultrasound because I couldn't relieve my... God, this is such a great way to start a podcast, isn't it? But... Anyway, in the end, all was well. Nothing nothing was wrong. They just wanted to make sure I didn't have any secondary infections. Um, my kidneys were fine. And uh, the phrase grossly unremarkable was on the report that I got. And I was like, the heck? How can something be grossly unremarkable? I was like, was I boring you? You know. And I actually had uh, dinner with a friend of mine who's, uh, who's now a uh, ICU nurse. And I asked him about that. I said what's this mean? He said, well, that's not for you. That's for the doctor. And he said that usually if you see the word unremarkable, it means routine, but that could mean anything because a friend of his saw that word unremarkable on his wife's sonogram results. And apparently in her case, unremarkable for her doctor meant you're going to remove the top of her skull to let the brain swell which I guess apparently in that world is a normal everyday procedure. Uh, Nothing unremarkable for the doctor, yet meanwhile her poor husband was panicking over that. Uh, I think think things ended up okay for her, so uh, 
And I guess um, I, I'm not a doctor or anything, but according to my nurse friend, that phrase grossly unremarkable means basically, yeah, nothing's wrong with you. You're going to be fine. So at least I have that. So yeah, this week in um, Sean's medical history. Wow. Oh, I don't know what else to say um, other than um, in terms of the pain I've been feeling on the left side of my body, it's been much better than when it was at its worst. I still can't really ride my bike more than a mile without giving up. What's really weird is that when I was really starting to feel this pain was that I'd be on my bike and I would feel every little crack in the pavement. And if I hit a speed bump, forget it. It'd be agony. Well, uh, last weekend when I was out on my bike, I just rode half a mile into uh, the shopping district of my neighborhood just to grab a sandwich for my wife and me. And it wasn't too bad. I was I felt a little bit pain in my neck. And uh, I did notice, though, that when I went over speed bumps, it wasn't really agony. It was more like, eh, I would have preferred that that speed bump not be there. So I guess that's some kind of improvement. Uh, some is better than none. I just hope that... Uh, I get cured soon. Uh, might take up to six to eight weeks, but hey, I got a feeling I'm not going to meet my 1700 mile goal for the year on my bike. And all I'm thinking is if I have to have surgery, I think, which is an extreme case, I just hope that I can still participate in the extra life marathon. Uh, I think I might've mentioned this before extra life. It is a video gaming marathon that happens in November in which you literally play video games for 24 hours and you get sponsors you get people to donate to you and uh, the donations go to a designated children's hospital i know ferg did this uh, at least a couple of times and i thought hmm, maybe i should get involved with that so i looked into it and uh, yeah i'm gonna do that so on november 3rd i think it's november 3rd whatever saturday that is around november 3rd it might be on november 3rd i'm going to Underground Retrocade, which is uh, my favorite arcade in the Chicago area. Uh, we have a lot of great places to play games in the uh, in the uh, Chicago area. Galloping Ghost is a wonderful place too. Technically, the world's largest video gaming arcade. They have like six hundred and some games. There's Pixel Blast, which is a small arcade, not terribly far from Galloping Ghost. Actually, they, they got um, great staff over there. Uh, they have a small but really really fascinating selection of video games. And I mean that in the best possible way, by the way. They have uh, most of the core classics, and they have some obscure ones, like they have Snow Brothers. I've never seen that anywhere else. Uh, the only arcade in the area that has Mr. Do's Castle, I believe. And uh, they have, uh, you know how there's air hockey. Uh, they, they, I do believe they have an air hockey machine, but they have air handball, which I think is a Brunswick thing from the 70s. It's like air hockey, except you and your opponent are on the same side and you stand next to each other and the table is angled upward and uh, you still have to get the puck in the opponent's goal. And it's a, it's a lot of fun. I love that. I love that. And uh, they're in Lyle, Illinois, um, just in my neighborhood. I could literally walk there in 10 minutes. There's a uh, place called Replay, which is a beer cade and they have good food there, too. My wife and I went there not terribly long ago. We enjoyed our lunch. And because my wife understands her husband very well, she knew that I needed to play some of the games. They're on free play. It's mostly core stuff. There's uh, High Speed Ms. Pac-Man, uh, Donkey Kong, Centipede. Uh, they have Michael Jackson's Moonwalker, too. But it's mostly just a, a uh, smallish selection of core games, all set on free play. And... Uh, 
actually in the city of Chicago, there are a lot of beer cades, but uh, Underground Retro Cade is my personal favorite. I'd highly recommend any of the places we have in Chicago, but under, Underground Retro Cade is my personal favorite simply because uh, it's a very comfortable environment for me. Uh, it's The decor there is really great. The staff is great. The Lambert family, they're, they're awesome. They really are. And uh, I, I've made a lot of friends up there, too. So I'm going to be spending all of November 3rd from the time Underground Retrocade opens, which I believe is 11 a.m. to the time they close, which is either 1 a.m. or 2 a.m. I think it's 1 a.m. And I'm going to be just playing games there all day. That's uh, I'm going to allow myself an hour. I will take a lunch break or supper break, as it were. I don't know. There's some good places around there to go eat supper. There's uh, a great... Uh, frozen yogurt place called Vans down the street from the Retrocade in East Dundee. And uh, they have some really delicious hamburgers too. So that might be an option for me. There's also a, a really nice sit down place, not far from the Retrocade walking distance called Benedict's. I think it's mostly comfort food and they are also uh, vegetarian and vegan friendly, if I'm not mistaken. So there's that option. I mean, I'm very happy with my decision. I'm going to approximate 13 hours at the Retrocade, and the rest of the weekend I'll make up for the other 11 hours. Like, I'll do some hours on Friday night after work, doing some home gaming, and I'll do some hours on Sunday doing some home gaming as well. And my wife supports my decision to do this, and she told me, well, I'm totally fine with this, but on one condition, you have to include... To give my regards to Broad Street video game, which I feel ashamed of as a, I'm a major, major Beatles fan. And I've seen Paul McCartney in concert about a dozen times in the past 16 years. But I did not know about the give my regards to Broad Street video game. My wife and I were at a local record store. That's one thing I love about living in Chicago. We have a lot of record stores, a lot of independent record stores that are just thriving and one we love in particular is called Lori's Planet of Sound, which is in the Lincoln Square neighborhood on the far north side. And it's uh, down the street from the Old Town School of Folk Music, which is one of my favorite places in the city. But we were in Lori's Planet of Sound once not too long ago, and uh, we were just chatting with uh, the woman behind the counter. And I think somehow I mentioned in conversation that I do a video game podcast, and she mentioned the Give My Regards to Broad Street video game. I was like, wait a minute, tell me, tell me more. She said, well, I don't really know much about it. I think it's for Atari or something. And so my wife told me, you need to find this game. So I did some research, found out that it was a Commodore 64 game, actually, and it was also on the ZX Spectrum. And I have a Commodore 64, so I could find the game and play it on the 64. My wife told me that if I can't run it on the 64, she will accept using an emulator. So... Either way, as long as I do that, and uh, anyway, getting to the important part, I have a $500 fundraising goal right now. I might up that, uh, and the money that I raise will be going to Lurie Children's Hospital. I looked at the list of hospitals in Chicago that Extra Life is supporting, and I saw Lurie, which I think is the children's hospital affiliated with uh, Northwestern. In fact, I'm about 99% sure because the campus I went to to get my ultrasound was, uh, I think I saw the name Lurie attached to uh, many of the uh, departments over there. And I know that a friend of mine 
both of his kids had been treated at Lurie Children's Hospital for uh, various reasons. So kind of as a thank you, I'd like to raise money for them. In fact, uh, said friend, I believe is a listener of this podcast. So yeah, I'm going to, going to do that. I, I don't, it feels kind of weird though. Like, yay, people are going to give money so I can play video games. <laughs> I, all I know is that when I was a little kid, my parents probably would have given money for me to not play video games because <laughs> I was so into playing Atari and stuff, but Hey, that's uh, my life currently. And getting a little bit on topic Previous episode was about the homebrew Serpentine, and I had mentioned before that I was under the impression that it was going to be in the Atari Age store soon, and apparently my impression was correct. I asked Albert about that. I said, when is Serpentine going to be available? He said, well, first, it's going to be at Portland Retro Gaming Expo this October, and that's going to be taking place at the Oregon Convention Center. Oh, this is interesting. It's... uh, I looked up Portland Retro Gaming Expo 2018 on Bing, and there's a blurb taken from their website, and it says, The 2017 Portland Retro Gaming Expo will take place at the Oregon Convention Center on October 19th through 21st, 2018. Uh, Figure that one out. But anyway, going to their website, yeah, the dates are definitely October 19th through 21st at uh, the Oregon Convention Center. And Albert said that um, Serpentine will be available there. And then after the convention, it will be in the Atari Age store likely sometime in November. And you better believe that I'm going to be in line buying that game at uh, the Atari Age store because I'm not going to Portland, unfortunately. One of these days, I'm going to go to that expo. I actually have um, a coworker who is into classic video games. In fact, uh, I have a lot of Commodore 64 stuff that I'm going to be giving him over the weekend. (laughs) And sometimes we chat about Atari a lot. And he told me that he'd been to both Midwest Gaming Classic and Portland Retro Gaming Expo because he used to live in Portland. And he said, Midwest Gaming Classic is good, but Portland Retro Gaming Expo is much better. (laughs) And uh, after last year's Midwest Gaming Classic, I can't imagine something being better than that. (laughs) But hey, I guess PRGE is. Hopefully I'll be able to get there sometime. And uh, my wife is also supportive of the idea of going there because she loves Portland, and as do I. So she will not turn down an opportunity to go to Portland. So I don't know, maybe next year, maybe next year. But anyway, um, that's uh, the latest about Atari homebrews, I believe. So I think a good idea would be for me to shut up right now and get on with today's game, and that will be Draker Quest. Jeez, Sean, you freaking moron. No, no, no. It's Moon Raker, not Moon Draker. For the love of Al Gore. So, Draker Quest was developed by Clark Otto Jr., who is known on Atari Age as Frank O'Dragon. He had uh, wanted to do a Zelda-like game that was kind of similar to another Zelda-like minigame that was included in the examples by Atarius Maximus that came packaged with 7800 Basic. And uh, by the way, Draker Quest was done in 7800 Basic, as was uh, every other Clark Auto game. 
but Clark described Draker Quest as a combination of the Zelda games and Final Fantasy Legends. So there's this term Draker that I'm throwing about. Well, what is a Draker? A Draker is a dragon-like creature that shoots fireballs at its enemies. Now, Franco Dragon has done some graphic novels, and the game would have characters that came from those graphic novels. The first playable ROM was posted on Franco Dragon's original Atari Age message that was on September 19th, 2014. And there's a link in that post to the latest build. At that point, you couldn't really do much, just explore the game's overworld, shoot fireballs, and talk to the other Drakers. There was a dungeon that had not yet been added. A couple of days later, September 21st, there was now a warp to the dungeon, but no new binary that you could play, because Clark still needed to make some adjustments, because the player couldn't really move through the dungeon, just shoot stuff. The pillars in the dungeon were rendering as blocks, so uh, he wanted to tweak those graphics, make them render a little bit better. On September 24th, there was more progress. There was a screenshot posted of a dungeon with some enemies and a door that could be unlocked with a key. Well, how else are you going to unlock a door? Sorry for the redundancy. But anyway, Clark also posted a screenshot of the overworld so that he could kind of point out a bug he found the rendered dungeon walls would still appear when you would return to the overworld so clark was kind of hoping for help with that but the next day he moved the updates from the atari age thread to his blog which was also on atari age by the way and the first entry he posted to that blog he publicly asked atarius maximus for his blessing to use his code to base Draker Quest on, and he also gave a shout-out to Rev Eng for helping out with the coding. And it appears that the main point of the blog entry was to ask for programming help because coding the game's logic proved to be pretty taxing, especially with uh, some bank switching that Clark was trying to do. Uh, That seemed to be a real thorn in his side. But anyway, of February 3rd, 2015... At this point, the game was now 256 kilobytes. That's huge. And it was so huge that it couldn't run on a Mateos cart, because the Mateos cart only supports up to 144K. The Pro System emulator couldn't handle it either, so Clark recommended using MAME or MESS to test the game. The game now had a tower, and uh, because of that, Clark figured, well, this kind of resembles Final Fantasy Legends. Now, going back to what I was saying about bank switching and the 256 kilobyte size, the Cuddle Cart 2 was having problems with the ROM. It didn't like the way the bank switching was working, so Clark's solution, artificially bump it up to 512K, which actually worked on the Cuddle Cart 2. And uh, this was on February 26th, by the way, and also on that day there were some more screen caps from the game posted. Two days later, in response from a comment from Gambler172, Clark posted some more details about how the game works. At this point, it was about 60% finished, and he listed some of the monsters that you need to shoot before they attack you. If they attack you, you lose hit points. There were some beetle-like monsters that would especially deplete your hit points. Yesterday! The other monsters that Clark listed were snakes, Watch out for snakes! Stingers, blobs, rats... Mean flies, M-E-A-N-F-L-I-E-S, one word, lizards, scorpions, and 
In his exact words, some weird thingy creature which I haven't got a name for yet. Hit points could be replenished by touching these beds that you would randomly encounter. Man, if I could just revive my own hit points simply by touching a bed instead of sleeping. Oh, well, I like sleeping. Uh, anyway, back to our story. Uh, there was a not-yet-working point counter near the top of the screen, and the purpose of those points would be to trade them in for various items. You would earn points by defeating monsters and picking up treasures. If you encounter other characters that kind of look like your own character, you can talk to them simply by bumping into them. Well, actually, they talk to you, but hey, semantics. You need a key to exit the dungeon and get to the overworld, and once you get a key, you need to find your way out. And by the way, remember how I was talking about how touching a bed increases your hit points? Well, Gambler172 found out that by touching a bed, his score was increasing and not his actual hit points, so Clark fixed that bug, and he posted a PAL version of the new ROM the next day. There were some people who were trying the game and finding glitches, especially the title screen kind of rendering bizarrely. And uh, people were finding that problem on actual Atari 7800s via the Cuddle Cart 2, but the game worked fine in the mess emulator, which was kind of strange. Why would it work fine in an emulator but not on a real thing? Well, the answer was that Clark was trying to use memory locations that really aren't available in the 7800, but somehow were supported in the MAME and MESS emulators. Rev Ang found that out. Uh, so that was interesting that the game was working in an emulator because the emulator kind of had a bug in it. But anyway, on March 16th, Clark posted a uh, new version of the game that hopefully would address the issue. Then on March 19th, there was another new ROM. The points were now six digits instead of three, partly in the hopes to fix a problem with redeeming points for items. On April 16th, um, I'm guessing it was Clark's birthday because in the message he posted, he repeatedly said, happy birthday to me, but he posted a new version of the playable ROM and there was a new dungeon map now. And on April 20th, Gambler172 found that his games would start without hit points and the map completely changed. And uh, because his game would start without any hit points, just the slightest contact with an enemy, game was over. Uh, it turns out that Clark had accidentally left in some debugging code in his last build, so that was causing some issues. So he took out that uh, stray code and posted a new version of the ROM. And the next day, yeah, it turns out that did fix the problem. And uh, Gambler172 asked if there's some kind of a backstory or a goal in the game. So Clark replied with the following information. Items can be traded in for points. Points can be used to buy fruit. Fruit restores your hit points. If you find a heart icon, it will increase your maximum hit points from 100 to 200. Uh, that coding still needed to be done to make that happen, by the way. There's a store that can sell you a master key that will unlock all the gates and doors, but uh, that master key is very expensive. The ending was yet to come, but Clark was thinking of maybe adding boss characters near the end of the game. On April 25th, Clark was finding that the heart icon wasn't really working so well, so instead he made some warp zones that would let you go back and forth between different worlds. Some of those warp zones were blocked by gates that you need the master key for. And uh, he gave thanks to Rev Ang for help with the sound effects. April 28th, Clark found that he needed to change the maps due to a glitch 
that resulted from the player getting stuck if the player moves in a certain sequence, so he posted a new ROM. But alas, he found out that he updated the wrong dungeon, so he updated the correct dungeon, did a new build, and posted the updated ROM on May 1st. And then on May 2nd, Gambler172 found a bug that uh, Franco Dragon determined was caused by a problem with a cave in Overworld 2, so he posted a new fix. Man, Gambler172 is a great tester for this game. Uh, anyway, going back to uh, the progress here, on May 5th, there was another updated ROM. There was more work done, including a possible fix for a buggy warp area. And uh, around this time, Clark was starting to think about adding a save feature. So over the next few days, there was some more work done, some new ROMs updated and posted. And on May 17th, there was a fix for a dead end that uh, Gambler172 found, a stray dead end. And Franco Dragon said, hmm, I need to learn how to program a boss character and the corresponding behavior and the hit counts that go with a boss character. May 22nd, another updated ROM, and now there was a tune in the title screen and the first hint of a boss character. But uh, because he was running out of space, Clark could only program one sprite for the boss instead of multiple sprites for animations and what else have you. There was another updated ROM on May 23rd in which there were options to save and load games in progress, but uh, Clark found that it wasn't really working after all. And the next day, there was a new ROM that had an added feature that lets you restart where you left off if you died in an overworld. So that way you wouldn't have to start all over from the beginning. Don't you hate when you have to do that? Then on May 25th, there was a issue fixed in which the game slowed down if there were too many sprites on the screen. And at this point, Clark decided not to use the save key. That's that uh, little device you would plug into the right controller port. Just a little, it's like the, probably the size of a thumb drive. Clark decided not to use that because he couldn't figure out how to get it working. And then the next day, there was a new update. One of the worlds, the ice world, was now optional. Um, I believe that was supposed to be a uh, day world or a morning world originally, but the world didn't really look like day or anything in particular, so he figured, let's call it an ice world. And the second floor of one of the overworlds had two exits now, one to the ice world and one to the dark world. The ice world also had an optional tower that had some treasures. And at this point, there was high score cartridge functionality, and you would use the right difficulty switch to control it. Turn it over to the left, and it would enable saving progress. Flip it to the right, and it cleared any saved progress you had. May 27th, there was another updated ROM because Clark found some trouble with automatically saving and loading the game in progress with the high score cartridge. And the next day, there was yet another updated ROM because Clark was suspecting that what the game was doing was loading an old save point from the high score cart instead of the most recent. On May 30th, there was yet another updated ROM with some minor changes. At this point, though, there was still a problem with saving the game, turning off the console or emulator, then turning it back on and resuming the game from where you left off. There were still some problems with that. But uh, the next day, there was, you guessed, another ROM updated and uploaded. And the reason for this was there were a lot of glitches in the end levels that, that uh, Clark found. And there was some updated mapping uh, with Overworld 2. There was some more exits on the fourth floor. Uh, there was an exit to Overworld 3. 
And uh, there were several different uh, features that were added there. June 2nd, there were some bugs fixed in the fourth floor of the tower. So uh, Clark, of course, updated and posted the ROM. And two days later, there was another ROM that fixed some dungeon map defects. June 7th, there was a map fix in the ice world. So there was an updated ROM for that. And on June 9th, there was some more bug fixes. And on June 17th, same thing. On June 20th, Clark posted artwork for a possible cartridge release. And the next day, the beginning of summer, there was an updated ROM that fixed some dead ends. The next day, there was a new build posted that slowed down the first cave a little bit. And on June 27th, there was another updated ROM, and this time there were some fixes in the map, and there was a problem with the gate in Overworld 3 that was fixed. The next day, there were some problems fixed in Tower 4, hence an updated ROM was posted, as there was on the following day, June 29th. Turned out there were some master key issues in Overworld 3 and some dead ends in the Water World. And so there was a ROM posted with fixes for that. And over the next few days into July, there were some more updated ROMs. There were some Overworld gate issues that needed to be fixed. And on July 24th, Clark announced that Draker Quest would be demoed that weekend at Classic Game Fest in Austin, although he wouldn't be present for the demo. On July 27th, there was another updated ROM that allowed you to use a standard Atari 2600 compatible joystick, so you didn't need two separate fire buttons this time. And now you could use either fire button on a two-button 7800 compatible controller to start the game. The next day, Clark posted some gameplay video via YouTube. And then, uh, flash forward to October, Clark was able to burn the game to an EE prom, I believe, and he was able to play it on a real 7800, but there were some problems with the sound. He couldn't hear any sound, but when he played the game in Mess and Mame, he could hear sound. And it turned out the reason that he had sound issues was that he was programming the sound for a pokey chip, and he thought that the board that he burned the game to had a pokey chip, but it turned out it didn't. So he switched the sound routines so that they would use the built-in Tia sound instead of pokey sound. Then on November 1st, Clark posted a picture of a prototype cartridge complete with labels. And then a week later, he posted another short gameplay video. Now, we're skipping ahead quite a while. Now we're in 2017, the 1st of February, and Clark had posted a picture of the cartridge containing the finished game and a manual. And it was a typical Franco Dragon manual, standard paper folded over black and white. And then on February 3rd, Clark announced that he would be selling the game for $60 plus shipping. That's um, pretty expensive, but it's partly due to the 512K size. There was a lot of programming involved there. And uh, Clark also had limited parts to actually make the cartridge. On April 4th, though, he found an issue in which holding down the fire button at certain times could cause the game to glitch out. Now, I go over all those details about the development progress just to show you how much time and effort goes into making these homebrews. And this was using 7800 Basic, which is a simplified way of making games compared to learning 6502 machine language programming or whatever you have to do, whatever the processor is. I think it's 6502, or it's a 6507, I think, actually, but hey, 
let's face it, Clark or any other home brewer is not getting rich from making these. It's all a labor of love. And also think about this, 512K was the size of the ROM. That's half a megabyte. During the 7800's original lifespan, the maximum size game was 144 kilobytes. But thanks to CPU Wiz's VersaBoard, you can now actually have a game up to a megabyte, a whole megabyte of code. And um, wow, that's uh, the story of Draker Quest and the development. But uh, it's not the whole story, though. We also talked about a deeper bond with the product. Nostalgia. It's delicate, but potent. No, no. His name is Don Draper, not Don Draker. Jeez. In a but wait, there's more kind of um, vibe here. There's more to tell about Draker Quest, and that's specifically in May 31st, 2017, Franco Dragon announced that he had been working on Draker Quest 2 since late 2016. And the reason he was doing that was because he actually considered Draker Quest to be a failure because he couldn't get the high score cartridge functionality working properly. Draker Quest 2 was his attempt to right that wrong. The story of Draker Quest 2 is your Draker friends have been taken by someone or something and turned into crystals that are now inside temple dungeons. Your job, find your captured friends and figure out who or what is responsible for this horrid crime. New in Draker Quest was a desert world, and also Clark had sought to make the game less linear than the original Draker Quest so that you could explore temples in any order via a network of caves. There were more worlds open as you rescued the Drakers. There were dungeon bosses, some of whom would guard keys where the crystallized prisoners are kept. Now there were also mega fruits, which increase your hit points. And there's also an ice ball that kills slimes in your journey. There was not yet a playable ROM posted because there was still too much work to be done before the game was truly playable at all, but Clark did post some screenshots. On June 2nd, Clark posted a map of one of the temple dungeons, and uh, dungeons get pretty freaking huge, too. On June 5th, Clark found a bug in which if you enter one of the temples in a cave level, then you exit, well, the game freezes. And the same thing would happen if you enter a cave in the desert world, then exit, then go back into the cave. And uh, he couldn't figure out what was causing the bug until June 8th. And uh, it was a simple change. He went into the source code and changed the go subcommand into go to. And uh, those of you not terribly familiar with BASIC, well, there is a difference. Usually you don't want to use GoTo because that GoTo's run the risk of infinite loops, but sometimes you just got to use those. But anyway, June 12th, Clark had fixed some of the glitching that was happening in later levels, and he tweaked some of the graphics to make the monsters uglier because Clark felt that monsters should look uglier. So he posted some screen caps, and then the next day he posted a ROM of the file. And the ROM, just like before, would not work on a concerto cart, just a cuddle cart too, because it was 512 kilobytes, which also meant that Mess or MAME would be the only emulator that could support the game. And this time, Clark again attempted to implement a save feature using the right difficulty switch. Flip it over to the right to enable the save feature, and flip it over to the left 
to clear any existing saves. June 14th, Clark posted maps of Overworld 1, Draker Island, and Skull Cave 1. And then on the 19th, he posted an updated ROM. The points now had four digits instead of three, and the Draker Cave now had a shop. And inside the shop, one of the options was a blue orb that would turn your fireball into an ice ball so you could kill the slimes in the dungeons. Then we'll skip ahead to the fall, October 4th. Wow, no updates posted during the summer. But on October 4th, Clark had decided eh, this nonlinear approach was getting confusing. So there were some changes made. Drakers were now in caves while the enemies were in overworlds. Overworlds were more open so that there were fewer dead ends and you don't need to go into the caves to navigate the overworlds. Temples were in overworlds now and blocked by doors that required a crystal from an open temple. There were some on-screen text issues that were fixed, and of course there were some screenshots posted. And there were more screenshots posted a few days later on the 8th, and on October 23rd, Clark posted a revamped map of Overworld 1. November 12th, there were some tweaks made to the temple dungeon maps, and there was now a bonus temple and an optional cave, and each was filled with treasure and artifacts. And there was also a side story about ancient drakers and the gadget age. And while he was at it, Clark posted some maps for overworlds 2 and 3. And then on November 22nd, after attempts to use the Atari Vox for saving and loading, Clark decided, well... This isn't really working out for me. There's some weird sounds coming from the Atari Vox. I don't want to damage it. I don't want to risk damaging other people's Atari Voxes. So this game is going to use a password-based system for saving instead of using the Atari Vox. On November 28th, Clark added an inventory screen in which you enter a three-letter password given to you when you finish a world. And he posted a couple of screenshots that demonstrated the password system, one showing an example of a mega fruit. And uh, really, that was the last thing posted about Draker Quest 2. So the development was uh, kind of in doubt. Is he continuing on that? Well, recently, Franco Dragon kind of implied that yes, it is still a living project, but it still needs a lot more testing. So, wow, we have a Draker Quest 2 on the horizon. Now, at this point, in September of 2018, that is the latest information about the Draker Quest saga. Now, let's see if uh, there are any thoughts and comments from the masses about Draker Quest. I didn't get much feedback in the previous episode, but uh, yeah, that was kind of because I uh, forgot to alert people in a timely manner about the game that I was covering, and uh, well, the same thing happened this time, except I'm happily surprised that I did get some feedback. On the Atari Age forums, I heard from Smitty B, who says, I gave Draker Quest a go for the first time, and I found it to be more engaging than I first expected. The graphics and sound are basic, but they do get the point across and aren't distracting. I think it could do with some polish, as I found myself moving through repeating corridors and colliding with enemies as soon as the screen changes, so it was something of an endurance test to get to the next area. Overall, I think it's a decent game and a good foundation for something more in the future. And thank you, Smitty B. 
basic graphics and sound, yeah, those tend to be typical of Franco Dragon games. The sounds are minimal, which is pretty much the same with with uh, all the Franco Dragon games. And also, one thing that I have to remind myself when I look at this game is that it's four years old, and uh, it's really, I think, one of his earlier titles, because he's done a lot more since. And I am kind of curious about what he has up uh, for the future. Uh, I know that because of Franco Dragon, this podcast is going on longer than I expected, so uh, not saying that's a bad thing. Thank you, Smitty B. Gambler172, now this is what shocks me. Gambler172 has a fairly long response, or at least at least for him. Usually it's just short to the point, just a sentence, but here's what he says. I agree, Draker Quest is a good game. It was the first of its kind. Graphics and sound are not perfect, but okay to me. I only wish that there was a save option, but this seems to be a problem. Not only for Clark, other programmers have a save problem too. For me, Draker Quest is near a must-have. And thank you, Walter, for that response. And that's really something, though, considering that the Atari 7800 really dates back to 1984, but there really wasn't this kind of game for it ever before, as far as I can think of, at least. Basically an adventure-slash-Zelda type of thing, which is surprising given that this console was really large-scale launched around the time of the NES and The Legend of Zelda. You would think Atari or somebody at least would have addressed that. But what the hey, what are you going to do? And of course, I heard from TrekMD, who says, Hello, Sean, I hope all is well. I'm doing okay, but I'm at home recovering from yet another minor surgery. This has been my year of surgeries. At least I'm resting at home and I have some time to type up feedback for podcasts and get some other stuff done that does not require much physical effort. So I saw you needed feedback for Draker Quest and I figured I'd sit down and put something together for the podcast. Draker Quest is another Franco Dragon title done using 7800 Basic. This game is an adventure type game where the player controls a dragon-like creature called Draker as he searches for keys that will let him open gates to help his friends and restore peace to the land. Draker is able to shoot fireballs at enemies he finds as he walks around Draker Island, its caves, and dungeons. The enemies include beetle-like creatures, snakes, stingers, blobs, rats, mean flies, lizards, and scorpions. These can decrease your health points if you touch them, so be sure to shoot fireballs at them as soon as you see them. The graphics of the game have the style of all the Franco Dragon games, and the sound effects are minimal, but do the job. There's plenty to explore, there's more than one world to visit, so this is not a game that you'll finish in five minutes. You do have to take some time to play it to find all the keys and save your friends. Move between dungeons by taking stairs, and you can restore your energy by touching beds that randomly appear in the mazes or eating fruit. Be sure to keep an eye on your health counter at the bottom left of the screen, because if it drops to zero, Draker goes to sleep. Draker Quest has to be the largest game that Franco Dragon has made, and it surely is a cool one to play. I am not sure if he is still selling copies of this game, though. I suppose anyone interested should send him a message in Atari Age. Going to the Final Frontier Gaming, Eugenio. And thank you, Eugenio, for that thoughtful feedback as usual. 
Yeah, next time I complain about my problems that so far have not required any kind of surgery whatsoever, I'm going to think of you and realize how lucky I am. I hope things are going well for you. I hope you recover soon so that you can have uh, your normal life back to where you want it to be. Thank you for uh, spending your recovery with uh, your responses to both me and Pie Factory Podcast. I really do appreciate it. And it's nice to hear you on other podcasts, too. And I really do think, you know, when you bring up how, um, when you bring up the graphics and the minimal sound effects, one thing that I keep in mind is that the most important thing about a game is the playability. And yeah, this game is not going to take you five minutes to finish unless you're some kind of genius or you exploit a bug or something. But there really is a lot going on in here. Uh, one thing I did find, I was getting frustrated playing this game uh, once and I, and I, just kept thinking, this is it. I keep dead ending, but no, I, there are spots that I keep missing. Uh, you really should use a map when playing this game, when playing Draker quest and Clark posted images of several maps in the thread for Draker quest on Atari age. And you better believe I'm going to be linking that thread in the show notes, but yeah, you have to go a lot of places. You have to find, there's a lot going on in this game. And I applaud uh, Franco dragon for, doing it and for all the thought that went into it and uh, that's the end of the feedback for this episode thank you everybody for your comments episode 43 of the atari 7800 homebrew podcast now comes to an end and thank you all for listening. And I especially want to thank the following. Um, let me see. I'm just going to go alphabetical this time. Uh, I know it's not creative, but you know, I've had a rough time. I could be less creative just this once, right? So anyway, Airshack, Edladen Controllers, Kyle Etter, Jimmy G, Gray Defender, Richard Grounds, New Balance, Phoenix Stores, PJ Steele, Richard Valdez. Thank all of you for your support financially of this podcast via Patreon.com. And if uh, you would like to get in on the deal and help out uh, this show financially, you can go to www.patreon.com slash homebrew78. And Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com. And the way Patreon works is you give a specific amount of money every month. And uh, it could be as little as a dollar. It could be as much as well, however much you'd like to give. And uh, the money basically goes to uh, help fund, of course, my homebrew purchases so I can do this podcast uh, properly and um, equipment and stuff and uh, those fancy stickers that uh, I can, well, unfortunately no longer make because I, th well, here's the story. Uh, I got a notice some time. I think I mentioned this before, but I got a notice some time ago. I think it was from, uh, oh, who was it? It's not Redbubble. Uh, whatever store used to generate these stickers that uh, I would give out sometimes uh, for the Atari 7800 Homebrew podcast, I got a basically a copyright infringement notice that says, hey, uh, we're going to take these out of the store. They're no longer going to be available. And it's like, what? And I think it's one of those things where the people who... Uh, owned the Atari trademark, went out and looked for everything with the word Atari and basically said, stop it now. So 
Yeah, and if you have one of those stickers, you uh, might have a collector's item right now. But anyway, I do thank all of you who uh, help sponsor this podcast now and who have uh, done so in the past as well. But anyway, you can reach out to me over email at homebrew78 at fab4it.com, and I will spell that out for you as well, F-A-B, and the number 4, and then it.com. The show notes that I always refer to are located on the web. Point your web browser to homebrew78.fab4it.com. And by the way, the show notes page is not a pretty page. I didn't actually design it. It's just a simple plugin that I use uh, for uh, the podcast simply because it was a quick and easy way to get the podcast sent out to all the feeds at, uh, at uh, iTunes and uh, Stitcher and all the other providers. So I apologize. Me, Yeah, I'm a web developer for a living, but this thing did not come from me. Uh, anyway, uh, my Twitter handle is homebrew78. My YouTube channel is homebrew7800. So anyway, coming up for episode 44, I'm going to talk about two homebrews that uh, actually, as far as I know, were never actually officially completed but there are ROMs available, and the games are playable, and I really do hope that they come out at some point, because they're really, really good, in my opinion. Uh, episode 44 will be covering Plum Luck and Tubes. So anyway, check those out. Uh, I will post a link to where you can get those ROMs. In fact, I might even just post the ROMs directly myself. But give them a try in your favorite emulator, or if you have a rewritable cart you can use, like a Cuddle Cart 2 or a Mateos cart, try them out in those. And in the meantime, please give these hardworking homebrew developers the support they deserve. They're the reason that you're able to enjoy some really, truly amazing things on your Atari 7800. I'll talk to you again in half a month. <laughs> <laughs>